You know, my mother used to say a long time ago, she would say, always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Welcome. You've reached The Helpline, a podcast about listening to you. Here to listen, here to help. Here's your host, Hans Aname. Hey, Hans. Thank you so much for joining us. Today, our topic is money, and our writing comes in from Mr. Fielding from somewhere in California. Thank you for writing in, Mr. Fielding. Mr. Fielding writes, Hey, Hans. Everyone is saying I should invest, but I'm worried about the risk. If everything goes south, is it better to have hard cash, or should I pay down my debt? Hmm. Well, Mr. Fielding, the easy the easy answer to your question, but potentially not as satisfying as you might like, is that it depends. It depends. Now, I'm a big fan of the Ben Graham book written in the late 40s called The Intelligent Investor. It's sort of the investment Bible, at least it is for me. And really, it's just because its philosophies are tried and true. They've stood the test of time. But don't take it from me. I've had two wonderful conversations with two consummate professionals on your behalf. You can call it an embarrassment of riches, which is sort of appropriate for a topic like this. Now, I've included two voices because their advice is fundamentally the same, but it differs ever so slightly. I think that's appropriate for a situation like this when we're not really sure exactly where you stand financially. But I hope that this is helpful for you because taking care of your money is just like taking care of your life or anything else. It depends on what you have, what you know, and where you really want to go. We'll get to hear from a trusted financial advisor, wealth management expert, and dear friend, J.D. Miller. But first, we'll hear from an outstanding and very successful coach in leadership, career, and money who cut his chops in the tech industry in Silicon Valley, my dear friend, Yusuf Parvizi. So Yusuf, how would you help this fellow? What does he need to know? What does he need to do? So this is a loaded question. Yeah. It depends on many different factors, right? Yeah. So the first, basically what he's asking really quick, something came to my mind. The short answer is you don't put it in stock, period. And I, and I explain why. Because he says, should I pay down my credit card? If you own money on your credit card, right? And you're paying, my, my question would be, how much interest are you paying on your credit card? Oh, I'm paying 15%. Okay. Well, your stimulus check is what, 1200 What is it? 1500 Whatever it is. To, you're putting that much money in there. So if you put in the stocks, which is, we're going to talk about that, versus your credit card, 15%, you're going to have to pay out of your pocket. So you've got to keep that in mind. That's not, that's the credit card bill is going to pay. So if a stock investment is a long-term strategy. It's not a short-term, unless... Unless one, you're a day trader and you've gone through some trading, you learn how to do day trading, and you can afford and you read a lot about companies. Second, hey, you have a friend in a company that give you some advice and give you some tricks, which you call insider trading, and you don't have no clue about the companies, but somebody says, hey, I know my company is doing good next year, go buy something. So you go buy something. Or someone out of the blue says, hey, the stocks are doing great or low right now, let's go buy something. Oh, which one to buy? Stock has a fundamental, a fundamental, there's fundamentals you look at in the stock. So you can just buy something. If he, this person just go buy something, he's gonna do gambling, just going to Las Vegas. So if you wanna go gamble, if you can afford to lose that money, uh, go have at it, enjoy it. 
But if you really, really, if you can, if you cannot stock, you need to look at the stock. The stock prices are actually are not low. They're not low even compared to a year ago. Their stock, what happened was happened, the tax, the tax credit that Trump put in place, a lot of companies went out and bought their own stocks back. So the price of stock went up, inflated right now already. So you went down a little bit here and there. If you look at my, I mean, I look at a bunch of stocks today before it is. It's not that much down. Yeah, in the future, it might change. So buying a stock, you have to be knowledge, experience, and you have to pay some attention to it. And if you're on your credit card, and even if you think, hey, I might get 20%, 50% out of stock out of the thousand, remember your credit card bill comes first. You pay that. And if you don't pay your credit card, you pay some of it, save some of it for a rainy day. And the other question I have for this fellow is, how secure is your job is in this environment? If you got a secure job that you're feeling this, this lucky, okay. Uh, most of people, they don't have that secure, they don't feel in that secure job. And if the job is not secure, that means the economy is not doing good. If the economy is not doing good, what happened to stocks? Not good. That means you have to sit on it for a long time. If it's okay, if you could sit on it, again, long-term strategy, if you could sit on it by now, sit on it four or five years, three years, okay. So that's my, that's my kind of like a over bubble answer right now. I don't want to go too much detail, but I'd be glad to if you need any specific areas I need to jump into. No, this is valuable. It sounds like what you're describing is that the question suggests that this is just the beginning of Mr. Fielding's learning about the stock market. And, you know, there's no time like the present to start learning. But that in order for him to invest, he should um, weigh the security of his job. Exactly. Know what kind of interest yes. or what kind of interest he's paying on his credit card because now there's a debt ratio. Absolutely. But he should know something about the company he's investing in unless he's trying to gamble. But there's also this idea that there's more homework and self-discovery that he could do yes. on his timeline or the entire layout of what his situation is. So what, tell me this, though, Youssef. You spoke about the gambling angle. And there's that adage about you should only invest the amount of money that you can afford to lose. Um, and especially in such a volatile pandemic market, you can make a lot of money in a volatile market, but you can also lose. So if you so if you're unaware of your own risk and if you're unaware of your own limits, you could lose more than you can afford. Talk to us about that briefly. Absolutely. So you're right. You could invest what you lose, especially in short term. Mm. So investments is you heard about diversified portfolio. That's the magic word. So if you want to buy Apple, if you can afford to buy Apple right now, I don't know how much it is. But if you could buy Apple and this individual, spine individual stocks, it is risky unless you can afford to lose it in short term. You don't know. Maybe Apple will go up, maybe down. We don't know what's going to happen, right? And it takes maybe it takes a while to get there. But generally speaking, if you buy short, like quick, you want to sell it, you got to be in day trade business which that means you get up in the morning, you spend four or five hours a day, yeah. learn about what it is take, after you've done some training, what it does, you get up and watch MSNBC, MSC, read, read through all the magazine, Wall Street Journal, trying to understand what companies doing, then you put your money, basically bet on it, what's gonna happen, and the next day you make a decision. And even that, you have a bucket of money, you have to decide how much you wanna spend. So short term, yes, long term, over 10, 15, 20 years, I say no. I could say personally, I have gained 10% by just living my money there, doubled my money in 10 years, yeah. doubled. Yeah. So, but I did not change it. I didn't buy individual stocks. I bought funds, which is a combination of multiple stocks within one bucket. And it diversified the portfolio, what is a 
they call it low stocks, mid stocks, and large company stocks. You buy international, you buy US, you buy Asia, you combination of that give you landscape of complete stocks around the world, right? So when something goes down US, Europe may be not as impacted or Asia. So it could go up and down. Your portfolio does not drastically drop 40%. It may go down 5%. Mm. So through the 2008, all that stuff, I, I did not change anything. I just move along with it. And moving along, I just move along and came back up, right back up. So stability and patience. Absolutely. You hold on and you, you do reevaluate it every year to see where you are, where things are, and how things are moving. So you do have to plan it out in advance what you do, but you don't go in there, change it every day, every week, every month, unless, again, unless you're inside a trader or you're day trading, then then I understand. Yeah, that sounds like really good advice. Slow and steady to minimize risk. Thank you so much, Youssef. You're welcome. Youssef works with Silicon Valley executives in matters regarding life, career, and more. Learn more about his practice at findmyroad.com. an interesting question about investing and how will doing this get you where where you want to go or get you what you want trusted financial planner cpa wealth management expert and dear friend jd miller i began with the end in mind and that that happens to be one of stephen covey's uh, seven habits uh, of highly effective people Mm -hmm. begin in the uh, with the end in mind the second it happens to be First things first. Well, that helps you to prioritize the things that you need to do in life in order to be able to get where you want to mm-hmm. go. Well, right. if you sit down and you think and start writing down, and the key thing here is writing things down. Because when you write them down, you'll discover you're actually making a commitment. Mm-hmm. And that was a realization I came to years ago when. Before there was something called a bucket list, I, I uh, read an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, where they interviewed Lou Holtz. And Lou Holtz was uh, the coach of Notre Dame. He just, they just won a national championship. And years before, he had put together a list of like 130 things he wanted to do before he left this mortal coil. And at this point in time, he'd checked off 88 of them. Wow. At, at the time he did it, he wanted to get a master's degree, he wanted a master of foreign language, he wanted to become head coach of Notre Dame, he wanted to win a national championship, he wanted to shake the president's hand. He put all these things down, a whole bunch of other things. And he was, he and the team were in Washington, D.C. At, at that moment in time because they were there to do the traditional shaking the president's hand because the team had won the national championship. So I got to thinking, that's cool. <laughs> so I started putting together my own list at that point in time. And I believe this was in 1988. And so I, I started writing things down. As, as I was writing them, I said, whoa, I'm making a commitment. Hmm. And see, one of them I've shared with you before was that run a marathon. Run a marathon? You don't even run. 
And, and, and then like, well, it's supposed to be a stretch goal. And I said, well, that's a real stretch. <laughs> well, no, right. I, I, when I was 58 years old, I trained for and ran and finished two marathons that year, practice one and the Honolulu Marathon. I've been running ever since. I, I love it now. <laughs> but I mean, that, again, the power of writing, you make a commitment. You should be writing things down yeah. as you're developing your strategy, making your decision. And so the first thing is begin with the end in mind. What does it look like? So it could be retirement. So when I'm 65, I want to be able to quit the job that I hate. Uh, and so I have the time and the money to do the things that are important to me. Well, okay. You can always come back and, and modify this afterwards, but let's start with this. 65 is what you're shooting for. That's how, how many years in the future? Let's say it's 20 years in the future. Well, what's my lifestyle like today? How much money do I need to support that lifestyle? And so the easiest way I've found is go to your tax return and look at the first page because the first page has all the income that you had that year. You may or may not have spent, you may have invested, doesn't really matter. That's the target you've got, replace that income. Okay, then you say, okay, when I'm 65, how big does that pile have to be in order to be able to replace that income on an ongoing basis? And increase it by a percentage every single year to protect you from inflation. Because everybody knows, you've heard stories of people that retired, they retire in first couple of years, maybe things are going great, but then all of a sudden they get 10, 15 years and their income hasn't changed, but hmm. their expenses have gone up. Yeah. And then the worst case scenario we hear of seniors that are making the decision whether they're going to eat or pay for their meds or reduce their meds. You don't want to be in that situation. Well, when's the best time to make sure you're not going to be there? Now. Mm -hmm. So this is what informs all of your decisions. And this is all predicate to being able to answer the question of, okay, how do I make investment decisions? It's okay, answer that question. How can investing in this give me what I said I wanted at that moment in time. That exercise there informs everything you do. Yeah. And then you take a look at the, the various different approaches, tools that you might have in order to be able to help you build that pile. Because you knew, know, let's say, for example, you're comfortable right now, you're supporting your lifestyle, doing the things that you enjoy doing with $100,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And by the time that you're 65, in order to replace that, by the time you're 65 in 20 years, that $100,000 is going to be equal to twice that amount, $200,000 a year. Mm -hmm. So you got to have a pile that's going to generate $200,000 a year. So the size of that pile, if your target average annual rate of return for the rest of your life is 7%, size of that pile has to be one and a quarter million dollars. That's in addition to Social Security. Mm. Social Security just happens to be something that helps you protect yourself against any unseen financial uh, challenge you might have down the road. Social Security is something you may or may not believe is going to be there. If you work for a lot of public agencies, you may not even qualify for Social Security. But again, Social Security is not even uh, considered in this approach. 
So, you know, I got to do what I got to do to create a pile by the time I'm 65 that's equal to one and a quarter million dollars. Okay, how do I invest? Well, the assumption I made was an average annual rate of return of 7% or more. That also informs what you're going to invest in. So the, the next step is, well, how can I improve the chances that I'm going to hit that 7%? Well, the simplest, easiest way to do it is tax advantage saving. What that means is you got a 401k at work, you maximize the amount that you're putting into that 401k. If you don't have a 401k, uh, if you're self-employed, you set up a profit sharing plan and you maximize the amount that you can put into that profit sharing plan. I mean, right now, a self-employed person can put as much as $55,000 a year into that. Mm. Uh, whether or not you can max these, you should also be maxing the individual retirement account, the IRA or the Roth IRA. If you are maximizing these, you probably cannot deduct the money that you put into a regular IRA. You should put it in a Roth IRA. So there, as you can see, that there are some valuable tools that are out there that you've got to learn how to yeah. use right. before you even ask the question and answer the question, how do I invest my money? Yeah. What are the steps I got to take? What do I got to do now and tomorrow and the next day so that I have that pile of money down the road so that I can continue to enjoy life on my terms the way I'm living today? Yeah. The two things that really stand out, mm -hmm. I have no idea how old Mr. Fielding is, which means that we don't really know his timeline. I mean, that issue of time is so important. I mean, how much time do you have to get to where you want to get to? Right. And then, like you were mentioning, there are a lot of other tools and skills that he and mm -hmm. those who would like to invest need to learn to be able to manage their financial future effectively. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, and you also want to make sure you're structuring in such a way that you're not forced to sell your investment at the wrong time. Well, the last thing that you want to do is be forced to sell, and that because then that forces you to take a financial loss. Uh, so one of the other things that virtually every financial advisor is going to recommend is you have to have some sort of an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. Where do you go when something comes up and you need money now? The last thing that you want to do is be forced to go into your investments yeah. or try to find a way to get money out of your IRA because if you take it out too early, you end up paying taxes on the income. In California, you're hit with a 12.5% penalty on top of that. Uh, so it's very definitely a very expensive way to get money. Now, it doesn't have to mean that you've got five, dollars $10,000 set aside in some sort of a, an emergency fund. That's a very realistic uh, way, a very practical way of doing it. But you could just have a, a home equity line of credit on your home that you don't use for anything except your emergency. And so, because you, you're allowed to draw against that, you pay a fee, annual fee, like an annual fee on a credit card, you pay it, pay it, but that's an investment right there that provides you with that emergency money when you need it, it's going to be there. Yeah, that's good advice. I mean, our writer says, or he wrote, um, but I'm worried about the risk. If everything goes south, is it better to have hard cash? Mm -hmm. And although everything that you described was very methodical and thoughtful and prepared, is there anything that you would change in terms of your financial advice now, just given the pandemic? 
No, but again, it, it's based on the personal philosophy that you have to find out what your personal investment philosophy is. And again, that's critical to the writing. You're going to write out your strategy. This is how I'm going to be making my decisions right here, or this is how I'm going to be expecting my financial advisor or investment advisor, because it, that's part of the strategy. Who's going to make the decision to, to buy? Who's going to make the decision to sell? Who's going to make the, do the research to make the right selection? All those are, are questions that you have to ask and answer because most people out there don't have the capability of being able to make those decisions. And even if they make the decisions, they may react emotionally. The market doesn't care. Investments out there, they don't care whether you're upset or not, that you're worried about the, the fact that the world is going to end tomorrow. Right. You have to decide, what are the assumptions I'm going to make yeah. in order to be able to make this investment? I mean, it's not unlike what we're going through right now. If you're going to go to the store, go to the grocery store, you have to make a conscious decision about, okay, What's my personal health situation right here? Am I putting myself at risk? Am I putting anybody else at risk? You're, you're making assumptions about how safe it is for you to go to the grocery store for you and for others you care about. So like mm -hmm. my case, uh, Tina is uh, uh, an 18-year breast cancer survivor. Uh, she's definitely at risk. I have to be very conscious about what I do uh, and where I go because I could bring something back that could be lethal to her. That's the last thing I want to do. So everything that I do is informed by the risk that I'm willing to take. Right. Most people, and I'm, I, I'm guessing based on the tenor of the question you were asked, most people misdefine the word risk. They're talking about volatility. The market is down, the market is up. That, by definition, is volatility. It means it goes up and down. There's nothing you can control about that. So effective investors should all be long-term. In other words, you're making a decision based on the best information you can get today and that you're, you're already at that moment in time, you decide, now, when am I going to sell this particular investment? You make the decision at the time you buy it, mm. not as a knee-jerk reaction to what you think is going is happening out there in the real world. I mean, the values of a lot of very good investments, the value has gone down. Well, if you stop and think about it, when you go out to negotiate to buy a car, do you take the sticker price? No. No, you know that they'll sell it to you for something less. You go out and uh, you might go out on the, the internet and you research it. You find buying services that will help you get a better price on it. You do your research there because you're not going to pay that sticker price. Well, that's not unlike what you would do when you're making an investment is what should I expect out of this particular investment? Now, with a car, you go out there and it's not something that you're going to buy today and sell tomorrow. It's it, somewhere down the road, for whatever reason, you're going to trade it in probably on the next car you buy. So that's sometime in the future. That is a long-term, we'll call it investment. Great example. The type of yeah. decisions you make there are not unlike 
which you'd be making an investment. Well, if what we're looking for is the best price we can get now, and if there are investments out there that fit our long-term criteria, then they're all on sale, deep discounts. <laughs> now is the time you'd True. be buying them, not squirreling your money away in your mattress. Now is the time you're going to get a great return on it because if you accept it as part of your investment philosophy that since the end of, of World War II, the value of investments in the United States stock market have earned an average annual rate of return of between 10 and 12%. And that's measured by what's known as the S&P 500 index. It's an index of 500 different major U.S. companies. So some of them over that time period have merged out of existence. Some of them have gone bankrupt. But there's always been 500. It's a very diverse investment fund. So if, if you know little or nothing at all about it, that might be the best place for you to put your investments. And that's a great segue into a bet that Warren Buffett had. He's recognized by many as probably one of the best investors ever. ever. <laughs> uh, and that's because his company, Berkshire Hathaway, has made multimillionaires out of an awful lot of investors because they trusted him to make their decisions for them. And that currently the one share of Berkshire Hathaway, A shares, the original shares, started out like a hundred bucks each, and they're now well over a hundred and I'm sorry, two hundred and thirty thousand dollars each. So I mean that shows you since early nineteen sixties up until now the growth and value of Berkshire Hathaway. And that's driven by Warren Buffett's investment philosophy. In other words, when he makes an investment, he has no intention of selling it. Well, that, see, that's another thing that you have to factor into your investment decisions, that these are investments right now that I expect to get this average annual rate of return, not till I'm 65. It's for the rest of your life. Because if you were to sell everything and put it into cash at age 65, you would never be able to replace that pile of money would have to be probably, instead of one and a quarter million dollars, would probably have to be in excess of $15 million just to get to you that equivalent of $200,000 a year for 30 year period of time. Now, younger people right now, younger than me anyway, uh, their their uh, average life expectancy is far in excess of 100. Yeah. I mean, mine right now, my life expectancy, if I'm married, average life expectancy for either Tina or me is 92. That, and that's average. Now, if you have good health, it's going to be longer. Well, as you know, I'm going to finish a marathon when I'm 100. Tina's right. going to be there to pass me a, a bottle of water that I'm desperately going to need at that point in time. But there are going to be at least 327 younger people behind me. That's right. Expect to be around because I'm my health is above average. So I'm, I expect to, to live past 92. Again, you factor all these things into writing down your strategy. What's your investment horizon? Well, I strongly suggest if you use 
Warren Buffett's investment strategy, you'll never find that you outlived your money, mm-hmm. that your investment horizon is forever, meaning you make this investment and you're not likely to sell ever except to have money to spend when you choose to spend it. Yeah. So on this forever plan, um, Mr. Fielding is asking, um, everyone is saying that I should invest, mm-hmm. that it's the best time. Would you advise, J.D., that there's ever a bad time to invest? No, there, there is never a bad time to invest. The, the, the best time to invest is when you got money. But you have to make... But after your emergency fund. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, criteria is that you, you've maximized your emergency. You've got your emergency fund. It's there as big as you feel it needs to be. And there's no magic for uh, what how big the emergency fund should be. I mean, I'm... I've seen where it should be two and a half months worth of cash. Sometimes it should be Mm -hmm. two years worth of cash. It depends on what you're most comfortable with. Well, keep in mind, the money that you put into that emergency fund is is cash, giving you no return at all, which means you have to put more money on the pile in order to build that to your one and a quarter million dollars if that happens to be the target that you're shooting for. Money like that isn't working for you. No, it's not. So then are these, I mean, would you suggest that these are the hard rules prior to mm-hmm. investing? A rule for having an emergency fund? A rule for paying down your credit card debt? Notice I didn't say pay down credit. The credit is, is a tool that should be used to maintain your lifestyle. Mm. Uh, now, if, you're, if you find that you, you've got credit card balances that you can't pay off every single month. What that tells me is your lifestyle is greater than your income. Right, right. So, and that's, I mean, it's a great measurement because the first thing that everybody has to do is say, okay, what kind of lifestyle do I want to enjoy? Begin with the end in mind. What does it look like? Well, you want to be able to enjoy the same lifestyle you have today for the rest of your life. And that you want, want to have adequate protection, financial protection against that so in case something comes up in order to be able to minimize the risk that you won't enjoy it. See, that's where your risk is. Your risk is not what's going to happen in the market. You can control that by controlling your decision. What risk really is, is two things. Losing the money that you've got, that's an, you make informed investment decisions. The second is not having the money that you wanted. So if you go to cash, when you're panicked like this, you're doing two things. You're probably triggering taxable income because you're selling something that probably increased in value. So you're creating a taxable event. But the second thing is that you're destroying the opportunity to have the money that you want to enjoy. I remember your nuanced approach to debt. Mm -hmm. And you just alluded to it. You reminded me. Debt Mm -hmm. is a tool to live the life you want to live. So paying it all off isn't necessarily something you want to do or something at least you always want to do right out of the gate. No. And I understand why other financial advisors, that's one of the first things they get out of debt first. Right. Well, if you run the numbers, you find out that that's not necessarily the best strategy. But for most people, they get out of debt, it feels so damn good that they're much more willing to perhaps take the next step. So I I don't criticize financial advisors 
to make that recommendation because out there in the real world, I don't know where that particular person happens to be in his or her life. But the bottom line is, if they're not doing the research, doing the homework, making the informed decisions that fit their strategies and take them where they go, or if they're not working with somebody that actually will ensure that they're doing it, because good financial planner knows what you got to do, and they're going to work with you to make sure that you do what you got to do. So you got to have the discipline. It's not unlike a training program to get physically fit or, I mean, I've still, I've got to do something about getting my time for, per mile down because I can't continue running six hour marathons. I can't do that. <laughs> I'm 77 years old. No, this right. just doesn't work. Yeah. So I got to, I got to get my time down. Well, that takes commitment and, uh, I'm wavering on that. I, I know I got to do it, but I obviously haven't put my strategy together down in writing. Right. I, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from financial wizard to fitness phenom. No, <laughs> no you, you make such good sense. And I think, if anything, I'm reminded again about why this program exists. Mm -hmm. It's because people need help and they need assistance. And there are people like yourself who have the expertise and the desire and the experience to help. Mm -hmm. And it's not that people can't do it themselves, no. but there's a part of it that has to do with motivation and discipline. You talked about that a little bit just when it comes to your strategy for your financial future. Mm -hmm. It's that you need to be able to have emotional discipline so that you don't react uh, too prematurely to or with knee-jerk reactions to the context or to what people are telling you or the market. And a disciplined uh, strategist and advisor can help with that. It can really sort of keep you in line with the plans that you set out for yourself so that you don't run off target. Mm -hmm. You have to keep going back to that plan that you put together. The only time you should do something other than what you're doing, I mean, that will drive the investment selections you should make. The only time you should change those investment selections is when you've changed your strategy, you've mm -hmm. changed your objective. Something yeah. is, is driving that change. Other than that, I'm a firm believer in Warren Buffett's approach to holding period is forever. Mm -hmm. And one final uh, point to make is there's uh, Warren Buffett had a 10 year bet between 2008 and the end of 2017 with a, a highly regarded financial uh, management, investment management firm. Because for years he made the, the observation that make money consistently in the financial markets are the advisors that get paid their fees. Now, it doesn't mean that there are not good, active financial advisors out there that can do great work for investment managers that can do uh, make good selections. But the one thing that they get is they get their money before you get anything else. Yeah. And so his argument was he could just make one investment in an S&P 500 index fund. I've referred to that a little bit earlier. It's well diversified, but it's very simple. You go out there and they cost nothing to get into them, nothing to sell it. The fees are virtually nil, nothing, because it's a buy and hold strategy there driven by a formula. And so what he did was he put his money into an S&P 500 index fund. This other highly regarded financial investment advisor he chose five funds that were run, in his opinion, by very highly capable investment advisors 
who can take advantage of the changes in the market out there. So they had various different value propositions, but what they, their proposition essentially was, no matter what, over a period of time, I can beat what the market will do as defined by the S&P 500. Well, as luck would have it, this bet started January 1, 2008. But we all know what happened in 2009, 2010, right? Right. The value of Warren Buffett's S&P 500 index fund went down 52% in January of 2008 and the end of 2009. I mean, he took a tremendous drop in value. He never lost money. You only lose money when you panic and sell. So there's no loss. When the market goes down, nobody's lost anything if they're invested in the market. The only time they they lose is when they make the hit the sell button. And at that point in time, they've created a loss. And the only, only time that they win is that they get right back in again because you don't want to be selling out Small investors have this great capability of being able to sell at the bottom and buy at the top. You don't want to do that. (laughs) Your holding period is forever. Once you make that decision, you've done your homework, you've done your research, you don't want to sell. But Warren Buffett made it all the way through to the end of 2017. And at the end of 2017, that investment that he made averaged annually Eight and a half percent after going down over 50 percent at the very beginning. Long term horizon, invest forever. Now, these people are very capable. The best they did was this money was split into five investment managers. One of them averaged, I think it was six and a quarter percent. One of them, they had to shut it down because the investment wasn't doing what it's supposed to do. So the return on that was zero. The other three, didn't do better than two and a half percent. So Warren Buffett, just by buying and holding 500, wrote out the Great Recession and earned an average annual rate of return of eight and a half percent, meaning his money more than doubled during that time period. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Slow and steady wins the race. Slow and that's right. <laughs> yeah, just do your homework. Yeah. And any time that you've got any concerns at all, what you do is go back to your strategy. What has changed here that's causing me to think that I should be changing my investments? Mm-hmm. So that's the only time you should be changing your investment. Excellent. My friend, this is phenomenal. Thank you so much. And I know you don't just work with anyone. What do listeners need to know or do in order to work with you? I'm more than willing to answer a question. But got it. I'll tell you right now. The answer very likely if somebody called and asked me a, an investment question like this is my answer would be it depends. Because <laughs> I don't know what your strategy is. I don't know what your long-term objective happens to be. So my answer would be it depends. Do you have a, a written strategy that's going to take you where you want to go? Do you, does your written strategy allow you to triple the amount of money that you, you can spend every single year during your retirement years? I mean... If you don't have a strategy that's going to drive that, I probably couldn't help you. I can help you create that strategy, right. and that's essentially what we do with, with our people. We have a interview process that we go through. We'll find out up front whether 
or not it's right. Actually, to find out how we work and how we get started, um, they just have to go to our, our website, jdmillercpa.com. And we just lay it out there. It doesn't cost anything to get started if you fit that criteria, but that website will tell you what you can expect from us. And if that's what you're looking for, then uh, we can probably help you. Uh, I will tell you that you have to already have accumulated at least three quarters of a million dollars worth of, of assets in order to be able to work with us long term. I'm in the, the process of developing a training program where people can go to the training program and learn how to actually structure and create their own written strategy that they can work with so to, to make sure that they take the steps that you and I talked about at the beginning is what does it their end look like? How much money do they need to have? How much emergency funds should they be setting aside? How do you deal with debt? I mean, debt is a tool. There's nothing wrong with debt because otherwise most of us wouldn't have a home if we couldn't get a mortgage. Uh, right. So debt is a tool to help us live the type of lifestyle we want. It only becomes a burden that people feel they need to pay off when they weren't conscious about getting into debt. So they they run their credit cards up. Well, that's just a symptom of their lifestyle is greater than their income. And so you fix that. It might make sense to pay those down, uh, not likely, because just by, if they have the opportunity to put money into a 401k plan, they could get the equivalent of 50% return on their money by putting the money into the 401k, just because of the tax savings right. that you get. So how much would you save by paying down a $10,000 credit card as opposed to putting the $10,000 into the 401k? I guarantee you, you won't save 50%. This is a major worry for a lot of people, mm -hmm. but it can be so simple if you're serious. It is. It all starts with a strategy and a written down one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not unlike what I suspect you went through in order to be able to, to make it to uh, the NFL. Is, I mean, there was a strategy. You may not have written it down, but you, you had people who are supporting, kept focusing you in the direction you needed to go, so what you you did what you needed to do to get there. Uh, it, but it doesn't have to be going to NFL. Uh, people who go to college, I mean, there's a process they go through. Most of the time, they're not making the conscious decision is, is they go to school and, and they, they're assigned these classes here and they got to get a good grade. And then you apply for the colleges that you want and you get there and they give you this, this study list right here. Which major do you want? You got to take these classes right here. Don't like those classes? Okay, you got to change your major. It's not not unlike what I said. If you you think that you should be changing your investment, go back and take a look at what your long term strategy happens to be. So every single one of us have had experiences that could inform how they approach their investments long term. Oh, that's wisdom right there. Experiences that can inform our investment long term. Well said. A systems approach less event focus, more awareness around what you want mm -hmm. and what you need to do to accomplish it. And then of course, working with, when you're serious, working with professionals who can help you get there. JD, thank you so much. You got it. For more information or for questions to learn how you can qualify to work with JD Miller's office, just visit jdmillercpa.com.
Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to add your perspective on the comments made today, share your thoughts on the blog at thehelplinepodcast.com. 